Welcome to the We Are SE podcast. This is Eric McKinney, joined by Rich Rubin uh, on, on this podcast because we are going all basketball all the time. This was a weekend where we learned about the NCAA tournament, the seedings. We knew USC would get in, uh, that they are in. And Rich, I, I want to start off just kind of opening up to you a little bit. You were at the Pac-12 tournament last year when all of a sudden it's you know, news comes out where the, the Pac-12 tournament is shutting down. Other national uh, conference tournaments are shutting down. The entire NCAA tournament is shutting down. What, what, were, what were your feelings, your emotion uh, this weekend as these seeds are, are being announced and we're getting this tournament? We're, we're getting into what is a, a, a really special time for sports fans. Yeah, the uh, March is, is, the, is the time for anybody who loves college basketball, no, no question about it. Um, this week, the, the, uh, the, Pac-10, the Pac-12 tournament was held, which was great. And there were tremendous games Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Every game was overtime or in the, into a last possession situation. There were super games, but it felt really, really different you know, than, than in normal seasons. Um, the venue is is the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, and that was built for the Las Vegas hockey team. So it's a big arena. And the number of fans at each game were limited to family members. So maybe there were 100 people there per game uh, on one side of the arena. On the other side of the arena, there was space for scouts. So depending on the game, there could be anywhere from six or eight to maybe 15 or 20. And then there were media members. Um, and, and that's it. It was an empty building. And uh, so it was great to be at the games. It was uh, you know, special knowing we're finally back, but it was really different. And uh, as I came home today, I was thinking it would have been 10 times better if there were fans in the arena and people going crazy as those games went to overtime and double overtime. But, you know, we're, we're in a different place now. And so we'll get into now USC is a is a six seed uh I, I don't think that was a a huge surprise based on kind of how their uh season went and how their season ended I, I think they probably you know had a chance to, to maybe bump their seat up a little bit had they gone farther in the Pac-12 tournament but they end up as a six seed uh they're in the west region which is Gonzaga's region which I, I don't think anybody would have chosen to be in in Gonzaga's region but they end up uh, against the winner. Their, their first game, USC's first game, is going to be against the winner of a play-in game between Wichita State and Drake. And I'm curious, what what does that do, I guess, for, for USC and, and kind of to a larger point, all the teams that get the, the winner of a play-in game? How, I, how does that change the path maybe or, or even the preparation or, or how you go into an NCAA tournament uh, not knowing exactly who your, your first opponent is. Well, Andy Enfield said this afternoon after the seedings were announced that, that it is different uh, going to Indianapolis and not knowing until Thursday night who they're going to play on Saturday. Um, he said what they're going to do is prepare basically for both teams. Um, a lot of the preparation is going to be the same no matter what they're, who they're playing because they're going to run what they run. Uh, but uh, they will go into it thinking they can play either team. And he said that makes it harder. But then he said, you know, on the other hand, if you, if you win your first game on Saturday, you only have one full day of preparation before you play again on Monday. 
So it's kind of the nature of the tournament that if you're winning, you're going to get a lot of games with only one day in between. So I, I think I think they're fine with it. Um, they would have liked to know for sure who they're going to play, but I think the way it's worked out is fine. Is there anything about Wichita State or, or Drake? So, you know, are, are there any kind of easy things where that, you know, they're one person teams or, or you know, they, they run an offense that USC has never seen before? Or is, is there anything that SC is going to need to do to kind of specifically get ready for those teams? Or is this about USC again, when, when you're the six against an 11, the assumption certainly is that the, the talent is kind of on, on your side and the season that you had is, is on your side. Is this just about USC doing the things that, that they do well, well in, in this game? Yeah, I think to a certain degree it is. Um, Eric, I haven't looked in great detail yet about uh, either Wichita State or Drake, um, thinking I'll just wait to see who they play. But um, I have seen Wichita State play this year. And honestly, I don't think they're all that great. Um, they, they won a lot of conference games, but they didn't get a lot of, of notoriety this year. Every, everybody was always talking about the Houston Cougars who were from the same league. And you know, my impression of Wichita State is that it's not close to the team of four or five years ago when, when they were nationally ranked and, and very good. Drake is interesting too. Drake um, plays in the same league, the Missouri Valley Conference with Loyola of Chicago and Loyola has been nationally ranked most of the year. Um, the interesting part is Drake was undefeated until the middle of February. They were one of the last three undefeated teams along with the Gonzaga and Baylor, but they were not getting any national attention at all. And I think that was because their, the teams, their non-conference games were against teams that you mostly have never heard of. And the conference itself uh, beside those two teams are, is really not that strong. So uh, Drake finished a little bit like USC, sort of uh, at a, in their last uh, few weeks at about uh, a 500 level, winning half, losing half. They lost, uh, they split two, uh, two games with Loyola in the last couple of weeks. They split two games with, um, I think it was Bradley, who was also in that league. And then they lost to Loyola uh, this week in the uh, tournament final. So both, you know, both USC and Loyola are coming through a period in which they're not playing their best basketball. Yeah, and, and neither Wichita State nor Drake won their conference championship game. So, so neither of these are uh, automatic bids that they kind of put together a, a season that made them at-large picks. But neither one of them had sort of big wins you know that the, there's nothing where you can look back and say you know they you know they beat this team e even early on that there's nothing really notable so again that that kind of echoes your point of these teams don't don't jump off the paper at you and, and kind of scare you when you first look at them but it's also march and i don't think any 15 seed has ever scared a two seed and yet you know every once in a while the the 15s the 14s that they, they can come up uh, with a win and we've certainly seen 11s you know go fairly far in this in this tournament but with, when you look at the west region and the next thing i want to get to is man there, there are some big names uh in that region with usc and, and the one again you don't you don't want to kind of just skip over the first round game because sc's going to need to play but uh curious about kind of what stood out with to you about that region and i'll go through kansas 
uh, is right there under USC. They're the number three seed and, and they USC could meet up with Kansas. Again, we're talking if USC kind of wins through and, and keeps going. Uh, there were five Pac-12 teams and Oregon is right there in USC's region. Oregon was the seven seed. Uh, when you look back up towards the, the lower seeds, you know, the, the lower, the one, two seeds, uh, again, mentioned Gonzaga is number one. Iowa is number two, and then Virginia is there too. So some some recent kind of powers, you know, and, and some some longtime powers too, uh, in that thing. What what stands out to you about the region that USC was put in? Well, let me go back to just something you said a minute ago, and then then I'll come back to your question. Um, both Drake and Wichita State have one big win each this year. Um, Drake, uh, Drake played Loyola Chicago back-to-back nights and uh, won one of those games. And uh, it was a close game. And in the other game, the day before, they lost by 25. But they have they have one quality win. Same thing with um, uh, Wichita State. Uh, they played Houston and, uh, twice and beat them. And Houston is a, you know, a top-10 team this year. So they both have one you know, big-time win. But they're also both in playing playing games, and so um, they're not they're, they're teams that that made it by the skin of their teeth. So going back to your question, um, the two seed Iowa in uh, the Western Region it is a difficult team. They have the probably the uh, players can be the National Player of the Year in Luca Garza, and he's about seven feet and I'm going to guess about 260 270 pounds. And uh, that's not the type of player that USC uh, handles easily. I mean, you know, Big Ben inside really pushed the Trojans around. Um, it'll be interesting if SC gets far enough to play them because uh, as a seven, Oregon, if they win the opening game and if Iowa wins their opening game, Oregon would play Iowa in the second game. And I think Oregon will really struggle against them because Oregon plays with six, uh, five players that are all about six foot six. They don't have anybody to match up with, with Garza. Um, if the Trojans win their opening game, then they will likely play Kansas, who is the number three seed. And Kansas in the middle of the year really struggled. Uh, they had lost, uh, uh, you know, something like five out of seven or five out of eight games. They, they were struggling. They, they came along and got back to their traditional winning ways late in the season. Um, this Kansas team is not as good as some teams in the past, uh, but, but they came, came together at the end. Now, they've got an issue. They had to withdraw from the Big 12 tournament after beating Oklahoma in their first game because of COVID issues. And so they're not practicing at this point. And in order to even get to, to Indianapolis, they have to have seven consecutive days of negative tests for everybody in the traveling party. And, uh, and they have to have that before they can board a plane to Indianapolis. So there is some small possibility that Kansas won't actually be able to play, but, but I suspect one way or another, they'll, they'll pull it off. But they will not have been, been playing and practicing at the same level as a lot of other teams. So look, USC is a six seed. You're gonna to have to play somebody good in, in, the, in the second game of the first weekend to make it to the Sweet 16. Kansas may not be the worst draw for the for the Trojans. 
Is it is it easy to say Gonzaga is is kind of the pick to to come out of the West? I mean, we've seen Gonzaga at times be the team you know is going to run through, and and there's been other times where you know ones have the the seemingly you know overpowering number one seed ha- hasn't been that in the tournament. But but are they kind of a, a safe pick to go through? Or does FC have a shot at at a Final Four run? Um, I think. A final four run is probably a stretch. Uh, SC would have to play, be playing its best basketball in all phases mm-hmm. to, to win four games to get to the final four. I, I do think Iowa is going to be, assuming it gets to that point, an interesting game uh, with Gonzaga. And that would be, a, uh, I guess, an elite eight game. Um, because Iowa is built around Garza, but they also have a group of, of great three-point shooters. And so they really have a great inside-outside game. And I think that would be an interesting game to watch. I mean, clearly, Gonzaga will be the favorite. But I don't think uh, it would be a situation where they're going to roll over Iowa. And Iowa would have a chance in that game. I don't know that anybody else really has a chance in the region. Um, I don't think Kansas does. And as you look up and down the list, um, it, it, it's hard to imagine anybody coming out of, of that region besides the top two teams. How about the, the Pac-12 overall? The, there were five teams. Uh, we mentioned USC and Oregon, uh, both in the same region. And you look down and there's another region, the East region, uh, Colorado and UCLA, both in the East region. Colorado, a five. UCLA, kind of joyfully in, in the play-in game uh, as an 11 seed against Michigan State, one of the, one of the last teams in. Uh, and then Oregon State is a 12 seed against Tennessee in the Midwest region and Oregon State, uh, potentially only in because they, they won the Pac-12 tournament. So five teams for the Pac-12. And, and I think that was probably a, a best case scenario going into to kind of recent days. Uh, but, but your take on how the conference did, how they were seeded and, and sort of just overall thoughts on, on the conference perf- performance just based on, on this tournament uh, draws. Well, I don't think there's any doubt that Oregon State was not going in if they didn't win the tournament. Um, and I think being a 12 seed really, really demonstrates that. That is as low as you can can be as an automatic qualifier um, and, uh, and and avoid a play-in game from the major conferences. Uh, they had an amazing run this past week, and it was, it was actually kind of fun to watch them. Uh, they they really came together. But I, I, Tennessee is going to be a very tough game for them, and if they happen to win, uh, they're likely going to play Oklahoma State the next game with Cade Cunningham, and it's it's difficult to see Oregon State winning those two games. Um, UCLA uh, is in a play-in game. They play Michigan State, which um, no one would have thought before the season uh, that it was possible that those two would meet in a play-in game. Uh, UCLA really struggled down the stretch. They lost their last four. Michigan State had a really bad time during the middle of the season picked it up at the end really just snuck into the tournament they you know a week or two ago people thought they probably weren't going to make it in so that that's going to be an interesting game and the winner will likely get uh byu i'm sorry the the winner does get byu um who is a pretty good team Uh, they gave gonzaga a pretty good game in, in their conference final and uh for sc fans you might remember that the trojans played BYU in that uh, tournament in Connecticut in December. And although SC won, BYU is a good team. Uh, in terms of Colorado, uh, they 
they got a great first round draw. They're playing Georgetown, which, who was sort of in the same boat as Oregon State. Mm-hmm. They were not going to be in the tournament for certain unless they somehow pulled off uh, a win in the Big East tournament, which they did. You know, they were only about 500 on the season going into that. If they win that game, they will likely play Florida State. Florida State's a good team. And uh, I think a lot of people thought for most of the season that they were a top 10 team, although they faded a little bit at the end as well. So um, you know, Colorado uh, has a shot, I would think, against uh, uh, Florida State, but they're, they're going to have to be really tough on, on the boards because Florida State is, is a great rebounding team. Is the expectation that, that the Pac-12 you know, will we'll do okay? It's been a conference, whether it's you know, men's basketball or football recently, where it, you know, it's, been, it's been a punchline. Basically, just teams kind of uh, relevant throughout the season, elite teams, all of that kind of thing. The Pac-12 just hasn't been there. Are there teams with a chance in this year where it's, you know, there, you look at it, there's no Duke, there's no Kentucky. I mean, the, this the, the tournament here this year, there are some familiar names, but but it feels like this could be a year where, you know, you, you get a 10 seed to go far. You get, you know, the, there could be kind of some, some chaos here. D- does the Pac-12 need to do anything to, I mean, you know, we, we all know the Pac-12 needs to do something to kind of change that narrative, but, you know, is it a year based on what you've seen from Pac-12 teams versus what you've seen kind of from the rest of the com- from the rest of the of the country, uh, where, where there's the potential for for somebody to get going down the line a little bit? You know, I think the conference had four, you know, pretty good teams this year, but but no outstanding team. I mean, there's no one of the of the teams you look at and you say, wow, these these guys are really good. Mm-hmm. Um, before the season started, I frankly thought UCLA was going to be very good. I mean, they returned basically their whole team. And although um, Anderson got hurt and missed a good part of the season, they have a lot of firepower there. And I don't know why they, they fell apart at the end. Um, I don't really see any of the Pac-12 teams going all that far. Maybe one or two can make it to the second weekend. I don't see it beyond that. Um you're right that there are not the traditional names at the top, but there are power teams up there. You know, all the, the one seeds and the two seeds, those are good teams. And I don't think anybody in the Pac-10 or Pac-12 rather has, has uh, the players to, to compete at that level all across the board. Um, and it, so, and it says something when you're when your top seed is is a five seed, um, yeah. and interestingly enough, did not win the regular season title did not win the the tournament uh title so that that's kind of a a, a funny quirk i guess for um for the pac-12 this year but, but going to usc how are you know obviously they end their season on a loss a, a close loss where they fought all the way back ended up losing to colorado uh by two there on kind of a, a tip-in dunk with three seconds left your confidence level i guess right now in the way USC played because boy it it looked bad against Colorado for a long time and then Evans sort of kept everything going and then really heated up and then some other guys started playing a little bit how do you feel kind of their momentum looks uh going in right now and and especially what we've seen from from Evan Mobley the last couple games he's it seems like he's really turned it on 
Yeah, he has. Uh, this is the best that Evan played in any two games this season. Um, if they can keep Evan in that mindset of being aggressive on offense, um, then they have a better chance to, to make some noise. Uh, but he played very well. You know, the Trojans struggled in both games in, in Las Vegas. They had to go to double overtime to beat Utah. And, and you know, Utah is not a, a, a strong dominant team, as evidenced by they're not in the, in the field. Um, and then, um, as you said, they, it was the Evan Mobley show in the first half against Colorado because nobody else scored. And in the second half, SC did play much better, made a great run and a great comeback and, and fell short. A couple of ironic things. I did not know this until this weekend, but Colorado, uh, as long as they've been in the conference, and I think it's about 10 or 11 years, had never before had a first round bye. In other words, they were never in the first four before. And they won the tournament. Um, one of the first couple of years they were in uh, the Pac-12, but they, they came from a, a low seed to win it. Um, the other thing to me that, that is, is interesting is that, you know, SC is 22 and seven and three of the losses are to Colorado. And uh, this, this last game was, was obviously the closest game. Um, but I don't, if you ask uh, Enfield or any of the players, I don't, I don't think they know why that is. Um, I think they'd be scratching their head. I, and it's Colorado shot the ball so well against the Trojans. And then the next day against uh, the Beavers, uh, not, not nearly as well. So uh, my belief is that if the Trojans had beaten Colorado on Friday, then they'd be the five and Colorado would be the six. Um, whether they'd be in the same region or not, uh, I don't know. But um, I think that, that game made, made a difference of one level. Sure. And it's one of those things where when you look back at the end of a tournament, you can say, boy, I'd rather be the six seed, you know, with, without that broke or, I'd, you know, the five seed would have been by far the, the better thing. That's always kind of an interesting thing to look back and see what what the path actually was. Uh, what I wanted to kind of leave on, I guess, is um, a question kind of kind of two parts to this and looking for more than just, you know, oh, when they score more than, than the other team. But for people who, who are going to be watching USC, not necessarily for the first time, but but maybe haven't kind of, you know, dived in as, as much as you have uh, this year specifically, when USC is, is going well, uh, what is going on? And then after that, you know, the, when, when they're struggling, what's happening? But, but starting, if USC is going to play well, what needs to happen? What's going on uh, on the court uh, for the Trojans? Well, a few things. I, um, the top two scorers on the team all season have been uh, Evan and uh, Tajidi. And if those two players are not scoring, it's, it's a problem for the Trojans. If they are scoring their points and Taj averages uh, 14 or 15 and Evan uh, maybe about 17 or 18 after the weekend, uh, they need a third and a fourth player to score points as well. Those two will not be able to carry them uh, against a quality team. Maybe they're enough to carry them in the first game, but, but probably not beyond that. So they need more scoring, they need balanced scoring. Um, that's one thing. Um, SC struggles sometimes with turnovers and turnovers in this tournament it, are, are really a killer. And I think the third major area is that um, they, they've got to do better on the defensive boards. Um, 
you know, Colorado won that game because of a, a defensive rebound and, and a put-in, and they out-rebounded uh, USC in the entire game, but particularly on their offensive boards. And uh, if USC is allowing that to happen, that they're going to struggle. It, in terms of the negatives, the, the big negative is free throw shooting. Um, and it's, it's been that way all year, although it's been a little bit le- better lately because um, Isaiah Mobley has been making more free throws and Chavez Goodwin has, has as well. Making free throws in, in close games is, is a big thing. If SC had made free throws, they would have beat Colorado on Friday. So um, I think those are, are the major areas, but um, to circle back for a second, the Trojans are gonna need to see that aggressive Evan Mobley. If he plays passively as he sometimes does, then, then it's, that's not a good sign. But if he plays aggressively as he did in those two games, um, as evidenced by the first half of the Colorado game, he can carry the team. And when he's playing aggressively and teams are swarming to him, um, there are open players on the court. And so if he, if he can attack, that, that really makes SC's offense a lot harder. What have you seen from uh, Ethan Anderson of late? It feels like when you, when you talk about, you know, you talk about Evan Mobley and, and uh, Tajidi, certainly those, those being the two leaders, and we've hit on Drew Peterson. When, when we talk about kind of free throw shooting, turnover slash guard play, that sort of thing, it feels like Ethan can be a guy if he's on his game, right, <laughs> playing as well at times as, as we've all seen him play, that he could kind of tip he, – he's the kind of guard maybe that could tip a NCAA tournament game one way or, or the other. And so we saw, you know, a, a big three from him against Colorado and then, a, a you know, a, a technical where playing outside himself a, a little bit with, with talking after that. So have you seen enough, I guess, from him of late to think that, that that's reliable or has, have things really gone? It, it's kind of Tajidi's show to, to run a little bit there at, at guard. Um, I think Ethan has been inconsistent since he's come back. He's had some really good games and some games where he really has not been a major factor. He is definitely the best distributor on the team. Um, there's no question. And if he's playing well, um, he'll, he'll gobble up some assists and, and he can make, he can make some shots. He can drive the basket. He's got a nice floater. Um, and, um, and he's hit a decent percentage of threes this year, probably as, as high a percentage as anybody on the team, although he hasn't taken that many. But so his problem, I think, is consistency. If he has, if he is on in the game, he, he can make it a significant difference. Taj is, is a different player than Evan, uh, than Ethan. Taj um, is not a great distributor. He is uh, pretty much looking uh, for his shot. He can create a shot very well. And he can score at all three levels. But um, I, I think if Taj and Drew Peterson are in the game at the same time, Drew is probably a, a, a better distributor and um, will we'll play with the ball maybe more than Taj, even though Taj will be taking more shots. So you're right to say if Ethan can play well, that really helps the Trojans. I just don't know if he's going to be able to put two, three, four games uh, together, you know, back to back. And then last thing here, look, and this is looking forward, let's go past the, the tournament. 
looking at next year and there are so, I mean, I, I'm going to start off. There are so many questions, right? Uh, who takes advantage of, you know, being able to come back with kind of the, the free year, uh, who is gone. The transfer portal is just, you know, as active as it is in football, same thing in basketball guys are kind of all over the place, but, uh, and, and there's a lot to be kind of figured out still. How far does USC go? How do they look? What, what kind of, you know, I guess, momentum can you take from whatever they do in the tournament? But in your mind, having, having Evan this year, having kind of the year that they did, you know, percentage points away from a, a regular season Pac-12 title after certainly not being picked, you know, up, up their first and second preseason. What, what is, what is this season so far done for USC basketball and how do you see it sort of moving it into, you know, the next year or, or two years or, or down the road? Well, SC has a, uh, a four-man freshman class coming in. They're all signed. Reese Waters is already there, but the other three will come in in the summer. And they also have a commitment from a good JC forward who has not signed yet. And I think the reason for that is uh, they don't know if he's going to get in school. So I think it, it comes down to will he academically qualify. So in terms of immediately immediate recruiting impact of this season, um, it may help in, in the transfer portal. It may help get uh, a player to fill a hole. Um, but I think the longer run impact is going to be as, as we go on in the future years. And, and I think um, the last two years to have one of the better freshmen, one of the better players in the country both years um, it is, a real, is a real plus. I'd like the players coming in for, for SC uh, next year. Um, I really haven't seen too much of... Uh, Hornery, who is the 6'10 forward from Matter Day, who really has a nice outside shot, and, but is not a big factor inside. Um, I'm really optimistic about uh, uh, Bubakar Kulalabe. Um, he is an incredible athlete. And uh, watching him uh, this weekend in warmups and things, he has a lot better uh, shot than I thought he did. Um, he is like a pogo stick uh, going up. Uh, on a shot and on rebounds, I think he's going to be really good. Um, so at the end of the day, we don't know who's going to be on the team for next year. Um, I think it's unlikely that Isaiah White or uh, uh, Tajidi are going to come back uh, in part because they're older. Um, and if, the, if, you know, they're at a point where they probably want to start their pro careers. Um, I don't really have a feel one way or the other with Chavez Goodwin. Um, I would not be shocked since this ended up being a free year if uh, Noah Bauman uh, goes into the portal. Um, his playing time dwindled over the last third of the year, and, and that wouldn't surprise me. Um, but I, you know, he can shoot, and if and uh, if if uh, the coaches have confidence in his ability to defend, then then he's a valuable player. I think a lot of next year is going to come down to how much improvement do we see in some of the existing players. Um, can can uh, Ethan get consistent and play well? Can Max uh, start playing, you know, start making shots? I mean, he was brought in you know, a, as a shooter and it turned out, turns out this year, he's played a lot of minutes and he's defended well and he's rebounded well, but he's not shot the ball well. And I think part of it is just lack of confidence. So if we can get him going, I think he'd be a big help. And 
I'm assuming Isaiah Mobley is back next year. I can't picture him being drafted, although I would not be shocked if he tries to go to pre-draft camps to get some kind of a reading on where he stands. Um, he improved tremendously from his freshman to sophomore year on the defensive end and in his rebounding. But his offensive game really hasn't improved too much. Um, the last few weeks actually have been some of his best offensive games. If, if he can improve offensively, he, he would be a, a big help. And I think the Trojans, when they're looking at, at next season, really have two places where I think they may need help and may be looking to the transfer portal. I think one is uh, in the front line. Um, assuming Chavez Goodwin leaves, um, then the front line player is going to be Isaiah Mobley and um, uh, Josh Morgan, who really has not played this year, and uh, Bubakar. And I think they're going to want another player um, in the rotation and preferably someone who can score. And then the other spot is, you know, Ethan was not a point guard in, in high school. Um, and so they've, they've kind of groomed him into that situation. He's done a pretty good job, but if they could find a good point guard, uh, I, I think they'd like to, like to add that. The, the freshman guards coming in are either like Reese Waters, who is just a scorer. He's, he's not a distributor. Um, and the other two freshman guards are both good. Uh, but they're more combo guards. They're not true point guards. So there isn't a true point guard on that team. And if they could find one, I think they'd, they'd really like to add one. And it, it does feel like, though, this year also sets them up to go into the transfer portal with a, a bunch of success. I mean, it, it's it's one thing if, you know, a school brings in guys from the portal and says, hey, they played, but, you know, the, the results might not have been there. This is a thing where USC brought in guys and they have played meaningful minutes and and done really well i would assume that that kind of means something when andy enfield and, and his assistants go back into the portal and say hey we know how to bring a guy in and incorporate him you know into the program and, and get him going right away uh, again i i'd imagine that kind of would be a, a big help when you're chasing like you mentioned if you're going after a point guard if you're going after a, a big scorer yeah i i absolutely i agree um you know, there were five transfers this year. Josh Morgan really didn't play much. He wasn't expected to play much. But the other four had major, major roles on this team. And, and as we've said, Taj was, was the second best player on this team without question. So I, I do think that helps. Um, and I think it helps in this respect. This coaching staff did a tremendous job in finding those transfers because they took them from basically mid-tier schools and were, without ever seeing them in person, because of the COVID restrictions, and we're able to find the guys that are really going to fit and help mold this team in, into a successful uh, team in a, in a good season. What they want to be able to do, though, is reach higher. You know, Oregon this year brought in a transfer from Rutgers, who was, um, I think, second team all Big Ten, I think, uh, last year. And they brought in somebody from, uh, I'm forgetting where the other school is, but another uh, uh, major school who also was was a player who, who was starting and, and getting big minutes and, and well recognize it uh, in the prior conference. I think the Trojans would love to be able to pull in players like that. And I agree with you that now is they have as good a pitch to make as they've had at any time over the last number of years and maybe as good as they'll have for a while. Yeah, we'll we'll kind of see what the future holds down the line, but 
we'll get started with the the immediate future this weekend. USC in in a bit of a different uh, a different look. Going to have their first game on Saturday um, with, with kind of the opening game shift a little bit, but they will get either Wichita State or Drake, and they'll find that out on Thursday night as USC gets started uh, in the NCAA tournament. Rich, I, I know you're looking forward to uh, to them tipping off in a tournament game. Yeah, definitely. And, and I, I know there are going to be fans at these venues. Um, I don't know how many. Um, and I don't even know what venues that uh, SC's first two games will be in, uh, because there's two uh, different uh, arenas around the Indianapolis area that they're using for the first weekend. And they haven't announced who's playing where yet. But uh, there will be fans there. It'll, it'll feel like the tournament of a couple years ago. And uh, anybody who's a college basketball fan, this is the time of year you, you know, you can't wait for. Absolutely. So we will watch the USC Trojans tip off on Saturday again against the winner of Wichita State, Drake. Rich, uh, appreciate you uh, joining me talking a little USC basketball. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the We Are SC podcast.